This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Faye Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah, hustle in the house. Yeah, hustle in the what is going on? I'm Rob Fain. Welcome to your Thursday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the fourth day of November, and I hope this rainy day in Vancouver doesn't have you too glum because we got a lot of stuff to get to, including the movement that we have been waiting for for months. Somebody in Vegas finally applies a laxative to the Jack Eichel situation and somehow we're able to fandangle him out of Buffalo. And right away, Kelly McCrimmon says, Jack, go get your surgery and let's get you back in a couple of months. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to the NBA. We're going to get to the NFL. We got a lot of stuff to get to. But there is one story that rises above all the rest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. So I'm not sure if you've heard the story about what's going on south of the border just outside of Las Vegas, where right now Henry Ruggs III is up on charges that could put him in jail for the next 20 years for driving under the influence and killing a person. Well, before we get to all the people that are showing their support and, you know, obviously remorse for this situation, I want to introduce you to who he hit, which I don't think gets enough attention in situations like this. Her name was Tina Tintor, and she was the woman that Henry Ruggs killed in a big-time crash. She was an employee at Target, she had a big family, and her and her dog burned to death in a car that was hit by Henry Ruggs as he traveled 155 miles an hour. Even when he broke, the impact, according to those on the scene, was somewhere over 100 miles per hour. She was 23 years old. Her and her dog died inside the vehicle while Henry Ruggs sat on the street about 50 yards away crying with his significant other. So immediately... We see all these people coming out, saying that they wish they could do more. They know that he's a good guy. And even Nick Saban in Alabama saying that he hopes his players will take a lesson out of this situation. I just can't get behind the support for him. I know that he's young. I know he was supposed to have a bright future ahead of him. Hell, he was playing for the Las Vegas Raiders, one of the most storied franchises in the NFL. But he was drunk, twice the legal limit, and he was speeding twice the speed limit in that jurisdiction and he killed a person and yet people are coming out like Derek Carr saying quote he needs people to love him right now I gotta be honest with you man to a tank of Viola down in Miami saying quote I never think he'd hurt a soul this is the problem with situations like this and I'm not gonna make this negative at the end of the day someone is dead and Henry Ruggs career is over but make no mistake about it. The problem that I have with this situation is trying to humanize who Henry Ruggs is without shining light on who he killed. And realistically, even though he didn't intend on killing somebody, when you get into your car drunk and you drive 150 miles per hour, like we're talking upwards of 180 kilometers per hour, I'm sorry. 
I don't think the stories should lead with those who have sympathy for Henry Ruggs. But that's the media. They want to go to the biggest name and get the biggest quote and try to humanize this story when in actuality it was a mistake. And yes, it was a mistake, but the mistake came long before the impact of those two cars. The mistake came when he thought that he could get in his car and that he could drive home. His mistake was drinking too much. His mistakes are all over this case. Everybody is trying to humanize him. Oh, great guy. Oh, you know, I hope we can take a lesson from this, and hopefully he can as well. There is a woman who burned to death in her car alongside her dog who was humble, who worked at Target, who had family and friends, and they are all impacted by this as well. So I'm sorry. I know that there's situations out there where we got to show remorse and that we got to try to get the biggest names so that we can get the most clicks. Trust me, if I had Derek Carr on this podcast, I'd probably have more clicks than I ever had on any other show. But that's not the story. The story isn't what Derek Carr thinks of the situation. The story is that there is a person, no longer a Las Vegas Raider, there is a man who thought that he was bigger than the situation, who got into his car with a blood alcohol content of more than 1.5 and thought that he could get home and get home quickly, driving 150 miles per hour. My thoughts on this situation have nothing to do with Henry Ruggs. He will stand before a court Justice will be served. I think it's pretty straightforward how this case is going to go, and his sentencing could be as many as 20 years. That's the breaks. But for Tina Tintor and her family, they'll never get the chance to walk out of a facility again. They'll never get a chance to embrace. They'll never get a chance to smile at each other. She is dead because he drank, he drove, he sped, and he got in an accident. That is... Is the whole story. It doesn't matter that he was a Las Vegas Raider. It doesn't matter that he's got friends, whether it's Nick Saban or Tua or Derek Carr. The end of the day, the story is on the death of a 23-year-old woman who right now nobody is paying attention to. I can't go from such a tense situation to just getting you prepped up and ready to go. Let me just run the quick sounder, catch my breath, and let me let you know what's going on in the world of sports. Let me get you to the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, we got to start in the NHL where a very big trade goes down between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Buffalo Sabres with the centerpiece being Jack Eichel. The much maligned center of the Buffalo Sabres is now a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think when these kind of moves happen, you immediately think, okay, well, what is the return for the Buffalo Sabres? Some are saying that they got absolutely fleeced. But I got to think when you have a situation that is dragged out as long as it is gone, that they are probably all just relieved to move on. Now, yes, Sabres general manager Kevin Adams admitted that he talked to all 31 NHL teams. He made the trade with Vegas because he said that that was the best package of young players and draft picks that would help get Buffalo's latest rebuilding plan underway. The Golden Knights get Eichel who immediately, according to Kelly McCrimmon, is going to have his surgery. In other words, Vegas said, go get that disc repaired. Let's get you back. If it takes four to five months, that's fine. But we know that we have a big guy in-house. Go get yourself done. So that, obviously, is music to Jack Eichel's ear because that was a part of the feud and a part of the process that was going on with the Sabres. 
And going back to Buffalo is Alec Tuck, rookie center Peyton Krebs, and a couple of draft picks to the Sabres, including a protected 2022 first-rounder. To those who don't know, Alex Tuck is also on the injured reserve right now, till January, because he had shoulder surgery in the offseason. Krebs just starting to make his way into the NHL, one assist in 13 career NHL games. He'll go right to the minors to try and shape up and maybe break with a big club before the season is done. But there was one thing that came out in the wash is everybody kind of compares trade notes and could Vancouver have done this and could they have provided a better package for Eichel or were they hamstrung by their cap, which I think we all knew they would have been unless they could have moved huge money out, which I don't know if other teams are willing to take on. But anyways, one thing that was said was that in addition to Eichel's frustrations with the surgery situation, he was also pissed off with the way that the team continues to lose year after year. So let's go back to the word that I know some of you analytic guys absolutely unequivocally hate, and that is character. I gotta think that when Jack Eichel finally heals up and when he goes to Vegas, a new start with a good team that's probably gonna win the Pacific, that he will be a completely different person. He'll be a completely different player. He's gonna be on a line where they probably will put it with Mark Stone, and off he goes to the races. Maybe he reaches his maximum potential. If, again, surgery goes well, his rehab goes well, and all is well. But let's remember the personality because Jack Eichel very early on with his tenure in Buffalo didn't want to be a Sabre. And if anything, the surgery was just the icing on the cake. He buckled in, he buried himself in the trenches, and he says, I'm not moving. So is this a case of Buffalo truly getting better so that they can help with their rebuild? Is it them getting rid of a cancer? Or is it a player getting his way? Because let's remember, Jack Eichel, through his agent and through social media, was not a fan of this at all. Eichel himself said it was a, quote, disconnect with the team over how they treated his injury, and then he questioned the future of the franchise that once regarded him as a big piece of the puzzle when they took him at number two back in 2015. He quickly became the Sabres' highest-paid player and is in the fourth year of an eight-year, $80 million contract. Now, look, he can put the points on the board. He had 20 goals in each of his first five seasons, had a really big year last year, a career-best 36 goals, and that was before the coronavirus took the season away. But the question comes back to character. I got a sneak of suspicion that in this case, he got his way, that he dug his feet in, he used social media, he was very public about his situation. He's feud with the Sabres. And even though I don't think Buffalo did right by him, Jack Eichel made his feelings clear that he was not going to be a Buffalo Sabre. So Las Vegas is the perfect destination for a player like Eichel. He walks into a very cushy situation, can take all the time that he needs to rest and repair, and then gets to go and think about going from Buffalo, that armpit of New York State, to Las Vegas, the bright lights every night, eating at a five-star restaurant, playing on a line with Mark Stone, when you got a team that's got Max Pacioretty, and yes, they're going to have to move some pieces in Vegas because that is a very big piece of the puzzle that they're going to have to get right when it comes to salary cap and how they can stay under it. But Jack Eichel wins in the end. So if you're a fan of Jack Eichel because now he can go get healthy, good on you. Today's a very good day for you. But it also goes back to say that the players have a lot more power than you think. A contract is just a contract. And there's certain agents out there that know that contracts are meant to be broken. And in this case, yes, Buffalo goes back to square one. Their generational talent is gone. And they are back at square one. But at least with a clean slate. Vegas, on the other hand, if Eichel comes back and Eichel comes back healthy and they can somehow maneuver and wiggle their way to stay under the cap, 
There's nobody in the Western Conference that beats them. With all due respect to Colorado, Edmonton, and anybody that wants to put their fists up against that behemoth of a team in the desert. Okay, busy night in the NHL. There are nine games overall. Let me give you a little flavor of those with Canadian content. We'll be playing Montreal getting ready to host the New York Islanders. Montreal coming off a 3-0 victory over Detroit back on Tuesday. Whereas the Islanders haven't played in five nights coming off a 3-2 loss to the Nashville Predators. So you got a rested Nashville team. A Montreal team that is trying to resurrect their season. Here are some of the things you got to take into consideration. The over-under in this game is just five and a half. Both of these teams are in the bottom 15% of the NHL when it comes to goals. Montreal ranks 29th out of 32 teams when it comes to shot on net. And their power play penalty kill ranks 29th out of 32 teams as well. I got to think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I would take the under in this one. Vegas has got this one as a flat-out draw, and they even think that the total will go over, according to some websites, but I just don't see it. The total has gone under in all five of New York's last five games, and the total has also gone under in four of Montreal's last five games at home. So if you're a betting person, I will leave you to your own devices, but I will just say that that could be a low-scoring affair tonight in La Belle Provence. Vegas Golden Knights getting ready to take on the Ottawa Senators later tonight. Vegas coming off of probably their worst performance of the entire season, getting shut out 4-0 by Toronto back on Tuesday night, so they're going to want to get right. That loss actually snapped a three-game winning streak for the Knights. Whereas Ottawa have lost five of their past six. They continue to struggle. But of those five losses, three of them are one-goal defeats. Their most recent coming back on Tuesday, a 5-4 loss to Minnesota couple of numbers you might want to take a look at in their last three head-to-head meetings. Vegas is a perfect 3-0 and have been fantastic on the power play against Ottawa, scoring on 50% of their chances over those three games. And one of the challenges for Ottawa this year is they start like a ball of fire but finish terribly. They are the worst team in the NHL when it comes to offense in the third period. So if they're going to get something going, they're going to have to show a little moxie in the third period if they're going to want to get it done because Vegas, again, hasn't lost to the Senators in their past three meetings. All right, what's the old saying? Out of the frying pan into the fire. Toronto, after a 4-0 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights, a very formidable foe, now looks to host the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight at Scotiabank Arena. We talked about Toronto's victory, but Tampa Bay has been very good as well. They've won three in a row, including a 3-2 victory over Washington back on Monday. And Toronto, believe it or not, is actually a bit of a thorn in the side of the Lightning. In their past three meetings, Toronto is 2-1, and one, and their power play is clicking at nearly 46% as the Maple Leafs try to build on a 4-1-1 and one record at home. But let's not forget, Tampa Bay is 3-1 and one on the road this season. Over-under on this game is 5.5, and, and I got to think that this one is going to go over. I'm going to take Toronto for the win, and the total is going to break that 5.5 barrier as the Maple Leafs try to build themselves back into a contender. And the final game that's got a little Canadiana to it, the Calgary Flames getting ready to host the Dallas Stars. Calgary's been one of the great success stories through the early part of the season going 6-1-2. and two. I did not have Calgary in those lofty ranks, but right now, what does it come back down to? Shots on net. They are the number one team in the National Hockey League when it comes to putting the puck on the net. They rank eighth in goals as a result of it. As they try to bounce back from a 3-2 loss to Nashville, that loss snapped a six-game winning streak for the Calgary Flames. One other thing, Dallas in their past three meetings against Calgary, a perfect 3-0. and 
which could be good news for the Stars as they are currently on a four-game skid, a 4-3 loss in Winnipeg back on Tuesday. When these two teams get together, there are a boatload of shots. In their past three outings, it has been a combined 75 shots between these two teams. So now if the Calgary Flames can simply get some goaltending, they might be able to build on an already impressive 6-1-2 record. By the way, Stars coming in 3-4-2 this season. All right, well, it took them a little time to get their footing, but it all of a sudden seems like the Los Angeles Lakers are a very tough out in the NBA, looking to extend their winning ways to four games as they take on the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. Oklahoma is one of the few teams to beat the Lakers this season, and they're going to try to do it again so they can avoid losing their third in a row. After dropping the first two games of the season, the Lake Show are back in a big way, winning five of their past six. They've got a three-game heater going right now, and LeBron James has been saucy in his last outing on Tuesday, 30 points, 10 assists, while Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis both had 27 points each for the Lake Show. The Lakers are big favorites in this game, and why not? James, Westbrook, and Davis have been awesome over the last couple of weeks. Los Angeles was actually up by 26 points in the first quarter of its latest matchup against Oklahoma City before they blew the lead. So I would imagine that tonight there's going to be a little more focus on this game, making sure that the Lakers don't just win, but they cover that spread, which is the Lakers by 13. Okay, let's get you to the NFL, where uh, never a dull moment in Green Bay is there, especially when you got Aaron Rodgers there. And it looks right now like the NFL is taking a deeper look into the Rodgers-Packers situation around his vaccination status. The situation looks like it could get worse before it gets better for the Green Bay Packers. Because if the NFL finds that Rodgers did violate the league's protocols, then Rodgers and the team could both be staring at a pretty serious punishment. Could be a big fine, could be a taking away of draft picks. Last season, you got to remember, a couple of teams got hit with those big fines. And in New Orleans, not only did they get fined nearly three quarters of a million dollars, but they also got docked a sixth-round draft pick. Raiders got fined $800,000 and also lost the sixth-rounder. Now, not only does the NFL have the power to hand out a hefty fine or take away a pick, but the NFL Players Association might have a word or two with Aaron Rodgers. But the big question comes back to whether or not they actually violated the rules. As in the COVID protocol handbook, according to the NFL, this coming from CBS Sports, all players and staff who are not fully vaccinated must wear masks at all time when inside their club's facility. Rodgers has been going maskless during all his interviews, including back in August when he told the media that he was immunized. So the question is, will the NFL look at this as two different things, being immunized as opposed to vaccinated? According to NFL.com, Rogers, quote, received a homeopathic treatment from a personal doctor which would help raise his antibody levels. He was hoping that that would be enough to give him the same status as a vaccinated player. However, the NFL looks to have shot down that request, so Rogers is officially viewed as unvaccinated, according to the league. Bottom line is he will not be in their game against the Kansas City Chiefs, which is a big switch. It was actually the Chiefs by one, which had them as a modest underdog, and now the Chiefs are seven and a half point favorites heading into their game a couple of hours from now. Well, the news between the Browns and Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't seem to be getting better as everybody now speculating where Odell Beckham might end up just can't get together with Baker Mayfield and even the father of Odell Beckham Jr. coming out publicly saying, hey, Mayfield is not targeting my son and Beckham himself has officially requested a trade prior to the deadline. Now, maybe Cleveland keeps him in-house, but there are a number of destinations out there and one of them which could put them over the top is the Dallas Cowboys. Could you imagine having CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, 
and Odell Beckham Jr. available to Dak Prescott. That would be a nasty piece of business. But I got to think of any of the teams out there that could use some help right now. It's the Raiders. Trying to stay atop the AFC West, Henry Ruggs III that we mentioned a couple of minutes ago is now no longer a part of the organization. They need a pair of hands and a big pair of hands in a hurry. So you got to wonder if the Raiders have enough inventory to dazzle the Cleveland Browns and get Odell Beckham Jr. to Las Vegas. Okay, let's stay on the gridiron, but let's go north of the 49th right now. Tomorrow night, it's going to be the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the British Columbia Lions. And it's another opportunity for an Eastern Division team to lock up a playoff spot. BC helping the Toronto Argonauts last week secure a spot in the CFL's postseason. And with just three games left, Hamilton is looking to do the same. But this game is also super important for the BC Lions. Not only do they trail Calgary in the West Division, but they're also behind the Montreal Alouettes for that third and final East Division playoff spot. But a Hamilton win on Friday eliminates a crossover scenario this year. It's been a tough go for the BC Lions as of late. They're coming into this one, losers of six straight, and a really bizarre finish to their game against the Argonauts that they lost 31-29. They had three or four crucial opportunities to win that game in Toronto, but the kicking failed them, time management failed them, it just didn't get done. And even when Toronto gift-wrapped that game to them, the BC Lions just couldn't find a way to get it done. One move that BC had to make, American Nick Vogel is now going to take on the kicking duties after Jimmy Camacho was placed on the practice roster. Only other game on the docket tomorrow, Saskatchewan going to Edmonton. Saskatchewan six and a half point favorites in that one. The weekend has Toronto at Ottawa and Montreal in Winnipeg to take on a very good Blue Bombers team who just happens to be coming off a bye week. So they're rested, which is just another layer of trouble. All right, let's get to the Octagon. Dana White blasting critics of a proposed Nate Diaz-Kazmak-Chimiov fight, saying, quote, shut the f*** up and let me do my job. Chimeyev, one of the hottest prospects in a long time now, is now in the top 10 of the welterweight division, and everybody's wondering what will be next. And it looks like it's going to be Nate Diaz. Because following his victory at 267, Chimeyev called out Nate Diaz to see, quote, who the real gangster is, unquote. Obviously, UFC President Dana White will try to make that happen, guiding people to say that White and the UFC only want to book it because Diaz is on the final fight of his UFC contract, and Chimiev is very likely a bad matchup for Diaz, and White says no chance. And you don't see this very often, but uh, an official has been removed from duty. Vlacheslav Kisilev, and you probably don't know the name, but he's a referee who was removed from duty at 267 because he was, quote, in over his head. During an undercard fight between Benoit Saint-Denis and Alizo Zaleski dos Santos, Saint-Denis was badly hurt by dos Santos, who spent the better part of three minutes beating his brains in. Everybody was looking for a stoppage, and it actually got so bad that the commentary team of Daniel Cormier, Paul Felder, and John Anik all called for the bout to be stopped, and even Dos Santos paused his onslaught briefly to look at the referee. Kisilev allowed the bout to continue, and St. Denis survived to the third round, where obviously things improved for him. But arguably, things got even worse for him after there was an eye poke, and then restarted the fight even after St. Denis told him that he could not see. This coming from Bellador commentator and former referee Big John McCarthy says, quote, I was going nuts. I was standing up in front of my TV screaming. Look, if he had just let that fight go on, it's wrong, but it's understandable. And it's understandable based upon there's pressure there. He's trying to let the fight play out and he's looking at it thinking he's doing a good job of letting this guy continue, even though he doesn't realize he's ruining this guy's career. The loss, he's not going to ruin his career. It'll be the beatdown and the damage that will. 
good on them for removing a referee that obviously, as we can see, was in over his head. All right, let's wrap up Sports Bar Radio for this Thursday. I will be back on Friday one more time. You and I will get together and talk about everything going on in the world of sports. Don't forget, I love feedback. You want to hit me up at Rob Fay, R-O-B-F is in Frank A-I on Twitter. I'd always love to engage in a conversation with you there. And don't forget, we are here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I wish you nothing but sunnier days than the one that we're looking at right now in Vancouver, where it is cold, it is gray, and it is wet. My thanks to everybody at Equity Guru. My thanks to Chris Perry, to Galen, to Asan, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. Until you and I get together one more time tomorrow, I'm Rob Fay, and you've been listening to Sports Bar Radio, presented to you by Equity Guru.